Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Revelation and the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together. Isaiah chapter 62 verses 1 through 5 and that will be followed by Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. I'm beginning with Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we're in the season of Advent, and we are in the final Sunday of Advent. That word simply means coming or arrival. It's a Latin word. And the church has used this word to capture the season in which we look back to the first coming of Christ. We look forward to the second coming of Christ. And every Sunday in between and all through the in-between, we look for the coming of Christ in the word and the sacraments. And so we as a network have been trading our pastors around to each pastor bring a sermon in a series detailing how it is that Advent speaks to the deepest longings that we have as human beings. And this Sunday, we are very grateful to have the Reverend Dr. Mr. Moderator, Erwin Ince. In case you don't know what that means, it's sort of like he's the president of our denomination. He's like the Barack Obama of our denomination. He's the first black moderator of the PCA, which we celebrate and we're grateful for. Um, and I have suggested that his, his coming up song should be borrowed from Sade. Smooth moderator. Some of y'all too young for that. You're like, what is that? Uh, old school folks, y'all know what I'm talking about. But I'm super grateful to call this brother my friend. He's a gifted... Uh, a gifted exegete of the word of God. He's able to mine God's word with great skill. He's full of joy 
He's got wisdom for days, and we're so grateful to have uh, Pastor Irwin and his family here with us uh, at Grace Mosaic uh, as a regular part of our community. So I just want you to receive him in love as he comes to bring us God's word. Thank you, Good morning, Grace Mosaic. Well, I've been uh, in the pews a lot, not uh, so much here in the pulpit with you since earlier this year, so I'm delighted to be back up here to bring God's word in this uh, final Sunday of our sermon series in our network called Waiting for the World to Change. Uh, we've been looking at these five verses in Revelation uh, chapter 21, and uh, this is my, uh, my opportunity to focus on a particular aspect of these verses. I will say at the outset, I'm, I have great admiration for all of our pastors, but in particular, uh, Pastor Duke Kwan at Grace Meridian Hill. And so, if you remember a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago when he preached, he was fighting off a cold. And so I'm emulating him this morning and that I'm doing the very same thing. And so uh, the Lord, I pray, will keep my voice as I speak to you uh, this morning. Uh, our message this morning is titled this way, The Beauty of Destiny's Children. The Beauty of Destiny's Children. You have heard God's word read, would you pray with me right now? Father, thank you for your word, this word that is alive and active, that is sharper than any double-edged sword, that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And our confession this morning is that we are all here in this place naked and exposed to you, Lord, the one to whom we must all give account. And that's good news, Lord, because that means you know exactly what we stand in need of. And so would you be merciful this morning and meet us where we are and give us what we need through the preaching of your word. Faith, encouragement, correction, conviction, joy, hope, whatever it may be, that we would be people who live for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, according to bridalguide.com, uh, the most popular months to get married are uh, June, September, and October. And they say these are the most popular months in America for weddings because of the weather is typically beautiful in early summer and fall. And now, I have had the privilege of of officiating several weddings over my years in ministry, and in my experience, the wedding dates have been all over the calendar year. They haven't fit what bridalguide.com says are the popular months. I haven't done a survey, but I suspect that the reason that those wedding dates that I've done are all over the calendar is because the most important thing is not actually the wedding date, but the marriage itself. When my wife and I take couples through pre-marriage counseling, one of the messages that we work hard uh, to communicate over 
those sessions and to repeat and emphasize is that we are not trying to prepare them for a wedding day. We're trying to prepare them for a long life together as husband and wife. You see, it's so easy as you prepare for a wedding to be consumed with all of the details and trying to make sure that the day goes perfectly. And when you're consumed with all those details, you can easily miss the whole point, which is your union together and the new home that's being formed by that union. I always tell couples that the day is going to be beautiful even if everything doesn't go perfectly. The day is going to be beautiful because of what's taking place. And most, if not all of us, have been to a wedding. We've been bridesmaids and groomsmen, maybe even flower girls and ring bearers and, and ushers. And when you're at a wedding, a number of thoughts can be going through your head. For me, when I hear a couple uh, recite those vows, my mind goes to remembering the vows that I took and being renewed in my commitment to live out those vows. If you've never been married and you attend a wedding, you can experience a sense of longing as you anticipate your own desire in the day which you'll be married if you were once married and you are no longer married because of death or divorce, you might be happy for the newlywed couple, but, uh, but, but weddings can be challenging because they can remind you of your loss and the disappointment and the pain of that loss. There can be a longing for relief from that disappointment. So whether weddings for you are delightful or difficult, whether your marriage experience is mostly picturesque or, or painful, it should amaze us that when God wants to give us a picture of what heaven is like, the imagery that he uses is of a wedding. Do you want to know the destiny of those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Picture the best wedding that you can imagine and then multiply it by infinity, as Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. When God wants to declare to his people what their destiny is, uh, have, a, have the picture in your mind of a beautiful bride that is decked out uh, for her husband in anticipation of the life that they will have together. Understand that the Bible begins and ends with a, a wedding. In the first two chapters of the Bible, the pinnacle of creation is man and, and woman. And we hear these words from Genesis 2, 24 at, at weddings all the time. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Those words are not just uh, uh, for repetition at weddings. They also set for us in the Bible a trajectory forward in anticipation of the words that we just heard from Revelation chapter 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, as she descended out of heaven from God after 
being prepared and adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What does it mean to have this kind of destiny? What does it mean to be destiny's children? It means a guarantee of beauty. It means a guarantee of beauty, a guarantee of personal beauty, a guarantee of collective beauty where nothing that is not beautiful will ever exist again. I know that that sounds like a fairy tale or a fantasy, but it is backed by the full faith and credit of God himself. So two things I want to hone in on in this message, the, uh, the beauty of destiny's children. I want to talk about longing for beauty and living for beauty. Longing for beauty and living for beauty. Destiny's children live with longing for all things to be made beautiful. That is, simply put, a longing for everything to be the way it ought to be. And yet they have to become comfortable with the fact that as long as they're in this world... They will not escape the reality of longing for something more and something better. Things are not the way they ought to be. The wedding is scheduled, but we don't know the date yet. Secondly, a destiny's children live together in the reality that the future promise of beauty has broken in on the right now. The future promise of beauty has, has broken in on the present world. And as they are being prepared for life as it ought to be, they experience the life of beauty even now. Therefore, life right now is not a hopeless venture Destiny's children have eyes to see, to see that renewal and renovation and transformation is coming. John says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the former heaven and the former earth, they passed away. Here toward the end of this last book of the Bible, what we are seeing with greater clarity is how God intends to satisfy the longings of his people. One of the questions that the people of God ask throughout the scriptures is, how long? How long, O oh Lord, David says in Psalm 13, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In the book of Revelation, in chapter 6 and verse 10, we hear the cry of the martyrs. They cry out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? Can you wait for things to be the way they ought to be? Do you know what words repeat themselves over and over and over again in the book of Revelation? Read through it. John keeps saying, I saw this. I saw that. 
I heard this. I heard that. The covers are pulled back for him so that with his own eyes he sees and with his own ears he hears the true reality. It's not that the things that you and I see and, I, and hear and experience with our senses are, are, are not true. It's that our senses don't provide for us the full picture. There's more to it. The Lord gives John and the church insight into what's going on behind what we are able to perceive. The curtains are pulled back and John sees a new heavens and a new earth. The former had passed away. The sea was no more. John is letting us know this is where the world is headed this is the world's destiny. Not only that, John says, but the holy city, the new Jerusalem, I saw that too. I saw it as it descended out of heaven from God as she was prepared as a bride who'd been adorned for her husband. I didn't only see the destiny of the world. I saw the beautiful destiny of God's people. And John wasn't the first to see it or declare it. We heard it in the reading from Isaiah chapter 62. When Israel was in exile and they were longing to be restored to their land, to Jerusalem and, and Palestine. And the Lord gave Isaiah this message and he said to say this to the people. You will be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. You will be a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You will no longer be called forsaken. You will no longer be termed desolate. Your land won't be called that anymore, but you will be called my delight is in her. And your land will be called Mary. Why? Because the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married. But you see, in Isaiah's day, the people were longing, but their longing was too short-sighted. They just wanted to get back to the, the, that small patch of land in Palestine. And the Lord had to say to them, he had to let them know, your vision is too small. It's too short-sighted. I'm not just concerned with a, a little piece of land. I'm concerned with this whole deal. And hundreds of years later, after Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, after he comes to save his people, giving up his life on the cross for their sake, being buried in the tomb and raised to new life on the third day in triumphant victory over death, after all of this, his people are still waiting. When is our resurrection? How long, O oh Lord? The one who sits on the throne has to reiterate, behold, I'm making all things new. Write it down, John. Write it down because these words are faithful and they are true. If we kept reading, we would hear him say in verse 6, he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, we ache and we groan. We long for things to be better than they are. The compromising and idolatrous nature of humanity is that we try to fix our longings for beauty by ourselves. And I like to hold out hope 
for that beautiful, aesthetically pleasing athletic body. I batter my body doing CrossFit. I try to eat right. Try to do a whole 30 paleo once a year. Uh, I tell people, I'm just trying to delay the decay. That's what I say. But I really want them washboard abs. The human mind, the human mind, right, has been able to discover and develop great medical advancements we put our minds to use through technology attempting to make life better to heal what's been broken whether it be bones or relationships i'm glad that i can video chat with my with my cousin who lives in france i can't afford to fly over there and see her all the time but i can see her face i'm glad that medical research continues to discover remedies and medicines that attack diseases that that attack our bodies I'm glad that the creative genius in humanity tries to strive for something better by making beautiful music and, and beautiful art. However, in all of our striving, in all of our longing, we cannot make things so beautiful, so radically new, such that there will never be any more decay. Death is not the great enemy that is defeated by modern medical technology. Death is the great enemy that is defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. John is declaring to us that only God can do this. Only God can do this. He is the source of beauty. So only he, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, can make all things beautiful in its time. Only God can make all things new. It's not the outcome of human scientific or technological advancement. As one commentator put it, the new city comes down out of heaven from God, a sheer miracle. A gift that is bestowed at the end of history and not the outcome of history. In other words, in other words, the beauty of the bride, of the Lamb of God, the beauty of the new creation isn't the outcome of human progress. It's a gift from God. That, that word in our text, behold, is not a call first and foremost to do something. It's a call to observe and to see. Behold. I'm making all things new. Watch and see. It's an invitation to look, to believe, and to rejoice. God is committed to the beautiful renewal and renovation of his creation. Indeed, the word new and as used in our text typically relates or indicates newness in terms of quality. In other words, through the victory of Jesus Christ over death, God is, a, is executing his renovation project. And this longing, this longing we have for our beautification and for the beautification of this world, it can weigh us down. That's because try as we might, 
we cannot successfully cover our eyes at the ugliness. The beauty that we are longing for is not the airbrush sheen of the fashion magazine trying to hide the imperfections of Fleming Rutledge in her new book on Advent puts it well. She writes this, she says, to grasp the depth of the human predicament, one has to be willing to enter into the very worst. Entering into the very worst, she says, means giving serious consideration to the most hopeless situations. For instance, a facility for the most profound cases of developmental disability what hope is there for a ward full of people who will never sit up, walk, speak, or feed themselves? Tourists go to the site of Auschwitz and take pictures, but who can really imagine the smells and the sounds of the most depraved of all situations? The tourists can turn away in relief and go to lunch. And I tell you something, those who belong to Jesus Christ are not tourists who turn away from the ugliness and go to lunch. We're people who live for beauty even as we long for it. However, when in this life we get glimpses into reflections of eternal beauty, the paradox of it, the seeming contradiction of the presence of eternal beauty alongside the ugliness and deep depravity of this life, it can be a burden too heavy to bear. In a recent talk on the paradox of beauty, artist Makoto Fujimura described his becoming a Christian in this way. He was in Japan uh, studying an old form of Japanese uh, paintings called Nihonga, and he said that the way that Jesus led him to faith was by confronting him with beauty. It was through, he said, the extravagant crushed minerals that he was using in the artwork, uh, malachite, azurite, gold, silver, and others, beautiful, extravagant minerals he was learning to use and was mastering. He said, every day I sought higher transcendence through the extravagant materials. I found success in, uh, in expressions through Nihonga materials, and yet the weight of beauty I saw in the materials began to crush my own heart. I could not justify the use of extravagant materials if I found my heart unable to contain their glory. The presence of beauty, the presence of the glory of beauty now is hard to bear because its glory can be too much. If we just look a few verses beyond the text we read in Revelation chapter 21, uh, listen to what John says uh, about the weight of glory, not just the weight of glory of God, but the weight of glory of God's people. Verses 9 to 11 John says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues uh, uh, came and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. 
He says, and he carried me away into, in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. If you keep reading, John is beside himself to give us a picture of how beautiful and how glorious the bride is. The walls of the city are built of jasper. The city itself is pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city are adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper and sapphire, agate, emeralds, onyx, and on and on. It is a, a description of the eternal weight of glory. But listen... The point of John, the point of John seeing for us and describing for us this eternal beauty isn't simply to make us long for the sweet by and by of heaven. It's even more to, to enable us to live for beauty in the nasty now and now of life. It's for us to feel the weight of beauty that Fujimura described and not be crushed by it as we refuse to turn our eyes from the very worst of the human predicament. You see, destiny's children hold on. They hold on. They take their cues for living for what has been revealed by God. The churches to whom John was writing were in a fight. Understand, Revelation is primarily written to those seven churches you read about in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were in a fight. They were suffering persecution. They were facing poverty. They were facing political oppression. They were facing the temptation to compromise their faith so that life would get better and easier. They needed to know that God's promise that their destiny to be, was to be with him as he remade everything was more certain than what their eyes were seeing and what their ears were hearing. It's the same thing we need to know. The people who have this destiny can live for beauty even as we long for it. You understand that because of who God is, he can say in verse 6, it's done. The Greek text literally says they are done, not a singular it. Everything I said was going to take place, everything I promised, they're already done. I'm the God of the beginning of history, the end of history, and everything in between. Let me close these two, two things, I think, that will help us live for beauty right now, live for life as it ought to be right now. First, in Jesus Christ, God has smiled on you. In Jesus Christ, God has smiled on you. Do you belong to Jesus? God delights over you. One facet of beauty is the fact that beauty delights. There is pleasure in beauty. You're beautiful. In Jesus Christ, God looks at you and he's smiling. I know you still got problems. I know you still tore up from the floor up. 
I know you still have temptations that you fight, but God is still smiling. Esther Lightcap Meek says it this way in her book, Loving to Know, talking about a sense of personal beauty. That is that sense of, of beauty belonging to me. She says a sense of personal beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous, self-giving gaze, the noticing regard of another person. If I had time, I could go into that, but I don't have time. She continues, a sense of personal beauty, even if we don't get it from others, is nevertheless accessible to all, to all in the life-giving, noticing regard of Jesus Christ. If, she says, when human noticing regard fails to occur, any person may nevertheless experience it, experience it in the gaze of the Lord, in personal redemption and in celebration of the Eucharist that we're about to celebrate. He alone, she says, is the face that will not go away. And his alone is our highest joy. And the second thing is this, friends, nothing is wasted. What do I mean nothing is wasted? That loud voice from heaven says to John that God will wipe away every tear, that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Those things will have passed away. But please know that today's tears, today's deaths, today's mourning, today's crying, today's pains are not wasted. They're not wanted, but they're not wasted either. Notice with me, please, that what John sees in verse 2 is the holy city descending out of heaven from God after it was prepared and adorned for her husband. In other words, my point is this. Those are passive verbs. The emphasis is that it's God who prepared and adorned the bride. He was the one who selected the wedding dress. He was the makeup artist. He was the, the hairstylist. In fact, he even drove the limo because it says she came down from God. How did he prepare her for her wedding day? It was through the tears. It was through the mourning. It was through the crying and through the pain. He equipped her to endure by faith as a part of her beautification. This enables us to keep our eyes open and live for beauty right now, following Jesus' lead. We live for beauty just the way our Savior did. For two days from today, we celebrate the fact that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exists in eternal beauty and glory, refused to turn his eyes away from the darkness of the world so the son left his beautiful communion to take on our fragility and our weakness and our vulnerability so that he could restore to us beautiful intimate communion with God and each other so secure in our own beauty we see the darkness of our world and we keep looking for we keep pointing out how this world, even though things are often terrible and tragic, is still charged with the grandeur and glory of God, and we keep working for beauty. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your favor and for your beauty. 
that rests upon us in Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord God, to live even as we long. In Christ's name, amen.